0: The following Dharma Talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground.
1: tonight. Many of you know that I've been giving some uh, talks on this list in Buddhism called the paramis, the ten perfections of the heart. And uh, we started in the spring with generosity or dana, And now I'm talking about sila, which means morality or another word that's nice uh, is integrity. And the thing about these 10 qualities of the heart, they really point to the same thing. You could say the heart or the mind that's um, not obscured by self-centered, a self-centered view or self-centered thinking. And so in that way, it's, it's always tricky. But it, it's really pointing to what's there when we learn how to abandon what's in the way. And so in this sense, uh, every way in, these different ten different ways in to what uh, one Thai woman uh, saint calls it the normal mind or the natural mind. You know, all the different ways into it <laughs> it reveals something that is natural and uh, it has some real power to it because it isn't constructed, it isn't something that we invent. And I've been thinking about this a lot. And I've been mentioning in the talks this week something that I came across when I was uh, on retreat out at IMS in the fall. And then uh, I was they have a three-month retreat, or they used to have a three-month retreat from late September to late December. And somewhere in November, they'd get enough cold weather that they'd get These uh, frost heaps, Um, and I would do the same walk every day, and so I'd notice, you know, all of a sudden, the ground would swell up. I mean, not all of a sudden, but like one day it wasn't, and the next day it would be. And even if there were a big rock uh, along the path, that rock would get pushed up. And this is just that natural force when water freezes. You know, it expands as it goes from water to ice, and that chemical or molecular change uh, causes this expansion to happen. And in a way, it's unstoppable. And this is the thing about natural forces. You know, when the conditions are right, there's not really anything you can do to stop it. You know, when things shift and winter shifts to spring, it's not a lot we can do to stop the trance... Uh, the change from winter to spring. The same thing with ice, water turning to ice. There's not much we can do about it. And this is the same thing with this force of morality or sila or integrity. Often, when we think about it, we think about it as an imitation. Like I should be restrained. You know, I should not tell lies. I should not gossip. I shouldn't take things that aren't mine. And and it's really like uh, it's not really coming from a deep place, a natural place. So in Buddhism, instead of, you know, the Buddha didn't teach us to try to be a good person. He suggested that we try to understand the mind. And in understanding the mind or in understanding the heart, we begin to, we begin to sort of uh, understand how the natural forces work. Like the natural force of ignorance. Ignorance is also a natural force. It doesn't come from outer space. It's just part of the different natural forces of conditioning, causes and conditioning affecting our lives. And the same with wisdom. And the more we understand the mind, then the more we understand how to align with some forces and to not be aligned with other forces. And some forces have more resonance than other forces. You know, as as powerful as the force of greed appears in the world, or the force of aversion appears in the world, they're not the strongest forces. And this is, I mean, we could argue this. I don't think we should take this on belief. But we want to discover this in our own mind. Like, what, what um, patterns or forces of habit have more resonance more strength so even though for example kindness or patience or gratitude or forgiveness kindness may not feel very strong as sort of personality habits doesn't mean they're not ultimately more powerful forces so one of the confusing things is we often are confused by the momentum of the habit and then it's like well we we sort of define ourselves by what has a lot of momentum but that's not necessarily who or what we actually are it's just what has a lot of momentum and we can in a way give up on ourselves you know especially as we start to practice mindfulness and we become more sensitive and we notice our conditioning our habit energy because we're not so it, not so distracted by life and we just see a lot of aversion and a lot of greediness and a lot of just wanting to deny or distract or go go to sleep. And uh, it can feel really disheartening. There's this principle in Buddhist practice where if and this is just something to test out in your own experience, if you pay attention to a wholesome pattern, a wholesome disposition or, Arises as an intention in the mind, like a moment of intending to be kind or intending to be patient And you bring a lot of attention, this open attention, not a grabby attention Oh, I want to be that kind person, I want this to laugh But just a clear, calm awareness of that momentary arising of kindness You'll see that in just being open and aware of that attitude of kindness in a way it's like a window it opens up this view or this understanding and we get this glimpse that that quality of kindness of not pushing not uh, separating out is actually it's sort of uh, the whole heart is characterized by it the whole mind is characterized by it so this basic principle is when you pay attention to wholesome states, by definition, uh, they get more stable, becomes more dominant in the mind. And just the opposite with unwholesome states, when we bring that open, non-judging, clear attention to some unwholesome pattern like aversion or hatred or resentment or jealousy or greediness or lust or, you know, you can Imagine even simple things like boredom irritation They tend to fall apart And you can just experiment with this like what happens when we bring that open clear Non-judging attention to a lot of aversion What happens? I mean either one of two things happen either? the mindfulness isn't very strong and we get seduced by the content of the anger or aversion in the mind and swept away and start to spin or proliferate with it, or it really begins to fall apart. It's like uh, the negative or the unwholesome attitudes of mind. They're these little whirlwinds. They have a certain integrity. They're natural forces, but it's a natural force that's limited. It's like a, a little storm surrounded by a lot of space, a lot of clear sky. Doesn't mean there's not a storm, but this storm is a relatively small thing. Now, it gets big, aversion or greed or loss, you know, it can get really big. But in order to get big, the mind, in a sense, has to disappear into the storm. We have to get identified. And, you know, when we look at something, even if it's really small, if we really look at it, we temporarily forget everything else. You know, if a little ladybug landed here on my notes, you know, and I I really brought my attention to it and really just allowed my mind to absorb into it, you know, I temporarily forget everything else. And my whole world is this observation of this little creature. You know, we know this experience. You know, We know how we can disappear into little storms. We do it all the time, little obsessions. Except they're not actually little. They're only little when we have the perspective of wisdom. But when we're actually caught up in the storms, they feel it feels like it's our whole universe, doesn't it? It's like this is the truth. This is what's happening. And it's as if there isn't anything else. We lose the sense of space or perspective this is really the definition of ignorance in buddhism it's like we misperceive reality we misperceive the way things are because of this capacity we have to be blinded by our own attitude our own sort of storm that we create so the practice of sila isn't like You know, seeing a lot of negativity and going, my God, I shouldn't be so negative, because already that has a flavor of negativity. It has the flavor of judgment, like not liking the different patterns or attitudes or habits that we have. So obviously that doesn't work very well. What we want to understand is... Uh, Well, if kindness, if non-harming, if love, if patience, all these wholesome qualities, if they're really uh, sort of uh, words that represent something that's inherent, then it's really about uncovering this and and sort of allowing the way things are, allowing the sort of natural state as this, woman that I mentioned earlier, this description she has, you know, the mind is a natural state, or the mind in its natural state, allowing it to have its effect. How do we allow natural morality, natural integrity, natural uh, force of restraint, kind of a um, a wholesome aspiration for what's possible, like a real sense of what's possible, not sort of being naive about our habit energy, but understanding that no matter how, quote, unquote, bad our habit energy is, like how much aversive conditioning we have from our upbringing, that ultimately, that's just this little storm that has some momentum, has some kind of lawfulness to it, but ultimately, in the great scheme of things, doesn't have a lot of staying power. Unless we spend our life Keep keeping on whipping it up. You know, I mean we can keep that storm going and we can Stay absorbed in it and then it becomes our life. We really are this angry person or we really are this needy person this fearful person You know this person that feels like a victim or this person that feels like nobody loves me or I'll teach them aggressive, angry person. Bill, would you turn the lights up a little bit more, especially this... uh, I think it's the second one, yeah. Maybe just a bit more. Maybe a little for these people so they don't go to sleep. (laughs) Thanks. So, a couple weeks ago, um, I wasn't here last week, but I was here two weeks ago, and I I laid out, like, one... um, one way to imagine how sila how morality arises naturally not like I want to be kind or I want to be moral I want to live with this principle of not taking what isn't giving, given not refraining from sexual misconduct refraining from unwise speech but how to how to set this emotion naturally and I mentioned how you know more than anything else. What we are are sensitive creatures. We just have sensitivity. That's really what we are. We're a sensitive creature. When we really attune to this aspect of our experience, that we're sensitive, we're always sensitive. We're sensitive now. You're sensitive to my voice. You'd have to really plug your ears not to hear my voice. You'd have to shut your eyes not to see things. But you know, no matter how hard we try, as long as we're alive we remain sensitive. Maybe there are moments in deep sleep where we lose some of our sensitivity. But basically, in an ongoing way, we're sensitive. And the more we attune to that, the more we begin to notice that not only are we sensitive, but we're not in control of sensitivity. So in a way, we're vulnerable to whatever sense experiences around the corner. And this is disturbing for human beings, which is why we often try to control our experience, try to control what's going to happen next. But the more we just sort of settle into this truth of sensitivity and the vulnerability that that implies, the insecurity that that implies, if we let ourselves really sink in, then compassion arises from that. We have to really feel or know insecurity before the natural arising of compassion for our own for our own predicament we appreciate where the heart in a way is tenderized by this situation this existential situation which is there's a sensitive being that's not in control of what's coming and going I mean, even just reflecting on it intellectually, we can see that, you know, uh, <laughs> there are cable channels devoted to filming animals, sensitive creatures, running into sense contact, you know, sometimes pleasant and a lot of times unpleasant. And we watch it and we're often moved, you know, in watching the polar bear swimming, you know, some of the more poignant. Nature shows these days, you know, polar bears looking for ice to do their hunting. And we can get so moved by that, just like we can, you know, all of our stories, all the movies, all the books we read. It's all about sensitive creatures facing fate, you know, just sense experience that they're not entirely in control of and being moved by that. Well, this is exactly what's happening to us, too, of course. And so the more we're, we tune into that truth and then in concentric circles realize we're all in the same boat, we're all sensitive creatures, vulnerable to change, things happen, and as things unfold, we experience the implications of you know, how it's unfolding. And then the more we just settle into that Something very powerful gets born, and that's that image, you know, the frost heaves, this sort of inevitable expansion of ice. Something arises. It's a, you could call it the force of morality. In Buddhism, we call it hiri otapa. Two Pali words for wholesome fear and wholesome regret. But I like to really use the image of this unstoppable force, and it's really about not wanting to contribute to harm, to pain we see our vulnerability, we see insecurity in our own experience and then out there in other sensitive beings and we're moved not to want to add to more suffering, not to uh, sorry, add to suffering in the world. There's enough suffering. People are vulnerable enough, insecure enough. The world doesn't need more pain. Sensitive creatures don't need more pain, more disturbance. They need you know, kindness and care. Just And, of course, we're all equals in this, so it's not like we ignore our own needs and only attend to others. In a way, our experience, our experience as a sensitive creature is front and center for ourselves. So even though the tenderness goes out equally everywhere, we're the closest being around. So we attend first and foremost to our own existential situation of being a sensitive and insecure vulnerable creature and then outward to everybody else. So this is our homework is to notice this natural force and to notice that it arises conditionally. I mean this is one of the basic teachings of the Buddha that things don't just happen they happen conditionally they happen because of causes and conditions. So if we want to notice that force of goodness, that force of morality, that force of not wanting to harm, then, then attend to the truth of sensitivity and how you're not in control of what you're sensitive to. And nobody's in control completely of what they're sensitive to. It's like constantly we're being impinged by different sense contacts, and even if you get yourself into the beautiful, perfect sensory deprivation tank, you know, floating there in the salt water, no lights, no sounds, you still have thoughts arising. That's still sense contact, you know, memory, imagination, and so we can still be vulnerable, insecure to sense contact even there. So there's really no escaping it. Those of you who've gone on retreats know this very well. You can go to a very beautiful retreat center, have a, let's imagine, a perfectly enlightened teacher, and she just radiates love and kindness, you know, and you've, you've done yoga for 30 years, and so you can sit, you know, with no physical... But it doesn't... There's just no escaping our vulnerability, our insecurity... It's just woven into this existence that we have—not just human existence. It's, it seems, you know, woven into all creatures, creatures, at least the ones we know about. So I want to talk um, a little bit more, and then open it up about how this, how we can work with this force. Like we want to discover this force, and then we want to, uh, like as we learn to tune to it, we want to how it can express itself in different ways, and the basic way to think about that is it can express itself in more gross ways, and sort of between gross and subtle, and then subtle. And this is generally true in spiritual life. We want to be able to practice on all frequencies. Sometimes, you know, when we think about being a spiritual seeker or a spiritual person, we just want to do the more subtle practices. But actually, you know, our life is asking, maybe demanding that we're able to practice on all levels. So sometimes when the mind is really gross and dense, then the way we're going to practice being a spiritual human being is really gross and dense. Other times our mind is really refined. If we brought out really dense, gross techniques or uh, instructions at that point, they would be really uh, the wrong thing. Not inappropriate. We need really subtle, a really subtle practice. So I'll start with the gross. Um, you know one way to think about really the first step with this uh, force of goodness, this force of morality, being born out of the recognition of vulnerability and insecurity, is what we call the force of restraint. And the Buddha made a big deal about this terms of guarding the sense gates, like what we do with the mind, what we attend to, because we know, like, if I look at certain things, it makes unskillful behavior more likely. Unskillful behavior just means behavior, thoughts, words, actions that cause harm for myself or others. So don't think of unskillful as being sort of like uh, um, some something we could argue about. It's something that actually leads to harm for ourselves or others. That's what we mean by unskillful. Wholesome or skillful would be some thought, word, or action that leads to non-harm for ourselves and others, it doesn't cause harm. So, you know, already, whether we're conscious of it or not, already probably all of us have a lot of skill in restraint because we'd be in jail basically if we if we didn't know how to restrain our unskillful impulses we would have done a lot of harm and we would have gotten caught eventually because I mean no a lot of people don't realize this but one of the things that once you start uh, respecting and taking up the practice of mindfulness one of the first things really is you realize that you have some really despicable thoughts We all have some really despicable thoughts. And it's not a problem. The problem is when those despicable thoughts, those unwholesome thoughts arise and we take them personally. Like we believe it, we indulge in them, and then we're likely to, the thought is likely to lead to words and actions. Or that's bad because that sets emotion harming. But there's another way that it's unskillful, which is. We're not identified so much with the despicable thought, but we hate ourselves for having it. So in a way, we're identified with it as being bad. And that also can lead to a lot of harming for ourselves. And not just for ourselves, because if we hate and are afraid of our despicable thoughts, then we hate and are afraid of other people's despicable thoughts. And we judge them harshly, and we want to lock them up or go and throw away the key. or. You know, annihilate them one way or another. So, restrain or refraining from unwholesome action, unwholesome thoughts and words. It's really, uh, it's really uh, connecting with this force of morality, and realizing that that it's better to do something even if it's not that effective it's better to do something than just to let unwholesome thoughts go out into the world you know we're not often good at it like uh, sometimes like we know we're kind of caught by whatever like really needy like uh, you probably remember times in a relationship maybe a partnership or with a boyfriend girlfriend and you're really needy, and you know you're really needy, you know? and you know you shouldn't be needy, because you know it doesn't really work in relationships, and so you're really needy, but you're needy. You really want this person to love you or treat you a particular way. You re- feel really vulnerable that they might not like you or you know, not treat you in a particular way. And you might even say something to that person. Well, it doesn't really work very well to sort of own your neediness. That it may be a lot better than just acting out the neediness, to sort of say, you know, I'm really needy. So there, there are many, uh, basically, it's trial and error. And w- the, the important thing is not to lose sight. Like when we recognize that the mind is under the influence of some unwholesome attitude, some attitude that's colored by greed. Craving, aversion, hatred, or delusion, just not seeing things clearly. We want, at the very least, we want to maintain a sense that this is dangerous. This attitude, this perspective is dangerous for myself and others. And I should make continuous effort to try to ameliorate. The danger of this particular mind state or attitude the last thing I want to do is give up you know just like well I'm just you know an angry person and I'm just gonna cause harm and that's just how it is or you know I'm a lustful person and I'm just gonna do this thing even though I know it's wrong and it's gonna cause harm You know, I really want this. I know I don't, it's not mine, but I'm just going to take it because I really want it and I just can't stand that feeling of really wanting it. We don't want to, that's called like this blind identification where whatever the wholesome state, attitude that's up in the mind, we take it as self to such a degree that there doesn't seem to be any option but to act it out. We just have to live it out. And then, in a way, we're, we're just completely caught. So there's all kinds of ways to develop restraint. The, the most important thing is just to begin where we have some success. Like, you know, if you say, you know, you hear this talk and you go, yeah, restraint, that's the ticket. I'm never going to gossip again. I'm never going to talk about somebody I'm never going to say something about something that I wouldn't say to that person and wouldn't be good to say to that person and that would be good for that person to hear you know because it won't be long before we fail and then and then there's a we start to doubt it that uh, our capacity to sort of um, refrain from acting out unwholesomely. So we want to start with uh, resolves refraining in ways that we're going to have a little success. Whether it's around food, whether it's around relationships, whether it's around how we take care of our bodies, how we take care of our relationships, how we're going to interact with our kids, our parents. And then once we set up, you know, a resolve to, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to kill spiders in my house, you know, they're just like, that could be a resolve, and then we can, then we can bring our, our full intelligence and creativity to, well, what are we going to do? You know, appreciating that, I feel insecure, you know, to sense contact of seeing spiders, including the sense contact of our imagination that they're crawling on I me mean, when I'm asleep you know so we can have we can have compassion for our predicament as a sensitive creature but we have this resolve so now there's this creative tension between the resolve and our own sort of attitude and fear and you know just our own what's alive in our heart and then we bring our intelligence to so, well, what how can i take care of both both this resolve that killing spiders doesn't feel wholesome it leaves my heart not feeling good, and probably it's not so good for the dead spider either. But how can I take care of my insecurity in that, and, and then we can we can begin to explore. Like you know, if we're sitting there in our bedroom and we see the spider up on the wall, you know, we we just notice that if we keep looking at the spider. And proliferating well it's going to be really hard to restrain ourselves from getting up there and smashing it but we don't have to stare at the spider you know we can just let the spider do what it's doing and we could go do something so we begin to understand like part of restraining ourselves from being unskillful is like what we do with the mind what we attend to you know if we're way in debt and we go home every night and we look through catalogs, well, that may not be the best way to deal with the tendency of wanting to buy things, to to sort of the feeling that I really need this to be happy. So we may not be able to stop ourselves from buying things all the time, but we can do these little things like when the catalogs arrive, get rid of them, and then make the call and ask them not to send catalogs anymore. You know, instead of going to the Mall of America with her friends, let's go take a walk in the park. You know, why be around things that activate a lot of our own unwholesome attitudes? If there's somebody you have a lot of resentment or anger or neediness around, well, maybe it's good to avoid the, that person for a while. It's not that that person's evil or bad, but, but what arises in conjunction with being in the proximity of this person isn't good, so we avoid it. You know, if we have problems with alcohol or drugs, then we avoid being in situations where there's alcohol and drugs. It's a lot easier to be skillful if we're in a wholesome environment. I mean, one of the nice things about a place like Common Ground is that it, it, it really brings out a lot of wholesome qualities. Now, there's probably not anybody in this room that if we took them and put them in a particular situation that activated a lot of their unwholesome tendencies, that a person, any one of us in this room, could do really terrible things. For example, you know, if we put a a Bani in in, uh, Iraq or Afghanistan in the middle of a, a really terrible or tenuous combat situation, You know, the kind of fear, terror that might arise. Who knows what we would do? You know, and how much, you know, we know what paranoia can be like in the middle of the night. You know, when we hear a sound we don't understand. Well, imagine we're around, you know, where there are a lot of death and gunshots. And, you know, imagine what we do with that kind of paranoia, you know, and with a very efficient killing instrument in our hands you know, who knows what we would do the kind of decisions we'd make So we want to begin where it's easy and Develop confidence in the power to restrain ourselves From doing what's not skillful And it's the opposite of that is to feel that whenever a force of emotion arises that we have to act it out that's what, we, that's what would be a good definition for an untrained human being: is somebody that, when some emotion, some attitude arises in the mind, the person just assumes, "Well, I got to act it out," because they're like blind. It's like they're a robot. We're a robot when we're in that situation. You know, I have this lust, I'm going to act it out. I have this anger, I'm going to act it out. I want to hurt this person, I'm going to say this to them. There's no uh, wisdom sort of as an intermediary. Like, wait a minute, do I really want to do this? What would be useful here? How can I take care of myself and others in this situation? What might really lead to good results here? So that's one way, uh, one of the three ways you can work with this force of morality. Is to develop skill with refraining, restraining, guarding the senses. Just to um, maintain and, and, and learn how to manage the kind of conditioning that we have, the kind of impulses or dispositions that we have. And the more we uh, skillfully work with them, they get weaker. You know, our dispositions, our unskillful dispositions get stronger the more we act them out blindly. But if we refrain, like it gets activated, but we skillfully refrain, then it gets weaker because it's not getting acted out. We're And we're developing the confidence that when it arises next time, we're not going to believe that the only option is to act it out. There are other options. To just walk away. It's so neat. You know, I used to work with kids with... Behavior problems in the schools in Minneapolis public schools, and it's so neat when you can empower a young person to recognize that they have the po- they have this power to walk away, that they don't have to react reflexively when someone is being mean or aggressive toward them. They don't just have to hit. That there are other options there, or you know, use the words to hit. They could just walk away. You know. And that's like, same with us. It is so empowering to know that we don't have to act on every impulse that arises in our minds. Now, there's more subtle ways that we want to work with this force of morality. Another one is just to be able to generate an ideal that's inspiring to us. Like, the more that we have moments in our life where we negotiate You know just the difficult terrain of being a human being and having different relationships and 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 also having uh, natural you know natural in the sense that it's inevitable that we're going to have attraction to certain things and repulsion to other things so this is the, the way it is for us and to be able to negotiate those repulsions and those attractions without causing a lot of harm for ourselves and others We start to feel inspired about this possibility like we start to trust the goodness of the heart the heart that knows how to be skillful we trust that this heart uh, creates safety can create safety like we trust it not to make a mess and not just not to make a mess but not to uh to also be able to handle other people's messes so it's not just that We can handle our our own unwholesome conditioning, but we start to have confidence we can handle other people's unskillful conditioning. So if Elena comes at me with a lot of resentment, you know, I might be okay, but then, well, you know, she deserves something because she's so inappropriate, you know. And so, but we can handle that. It's like we can not only diffuse our own stuff, but we can be a force of not sort of giving other people things to re- bump up against. So in a way, their resentment or their sort of forward aggression or whatever, someone's acting out their victimness, victimization or aggression, either one, it's like we can be with them in a way that makes it all fall flat. Like It's not feeding their disposition, their habit. So we become a real force for good. And then this can become... An inspiration for us, like remembering this, you can just give it a name, like kindness or patience or gratitude or the the strength or power of forgiveness or just equanimity. And it's like an ideal, it's like a a force we tap into. So instead of uh, the more gross practice of like being on the lookout for making mistakes and being sort of uh, full of care of not wanting to make mistakes. Now we're really orienting toward what's good, what's beautiful, like really recognizing this force of wisdom in the heart, whether it's wisdom expressed as the capacity to forgive ourself when we make mistakes or wisdom expressed as the force of kindness, like just being tender, seeing that there are a bunch of suffering beings around me, including myself, and we just have this tenderness, and being inspired by that. And so here the work is just like remembering this force of goodness remembering to keep seeing it whether it's faint or nice and bright and beautiful shining either way we just keep attending to what's beautiful in the heart what's good in the heart remembering it it's really the power of remembering what's good where the restraining is really remembering the possibility of making a mistake and not wanting to make mistakes because there are enough mistakes here we're remembering what's good It's still work, but it's a more pleasant work. And so we want to do this style of practice, too. And then the last, the most subtle, would be noticing moments where the goodness is effortless. It's not arising because you're restraining yourself from making mistakes. It's not arising because you're inspiring yourself by remembering what this force of goodness. It's just quite ordinary. It's it's really seeing that the uh, <clears throat> habit energy of greediness and the habit energy of aversion and the habit energy of distraction or, or delusion is so uh, quiet, so not on the surface that it's basically not a force in the moment. And we can really trust it. We, we can trust the heart. We don't have to like Do anything there doesn't need to be a self doing anything it's just this is what we would call like effortless morality or being a moral human being being an ethical human being without doing anything now it's not like the result of you doing anything it's the natural expression of this mind and body an effortless expression of this mind and body and I'll just leave it with this image that Joseph Goldstein uses this story about being on the interstate and you know when we're on the interstate and he used the example I think of Dairy Queen you know you see the sign Dairy Queen two miles you know exit 325 and you get there and and before you know it you just you see the sign and the next thing you know you're in the parking lot or you're up right there ordering your whatever your favorite dish And you don't even remember kind of making the conscious choice, evaluating, is this the time? Is this the right? You're just there. It's just like this robotic thing, this mechanical thing, where you see it, lust arises. And then in a way, we're blinded by the lust. We go unconscious until later when maybe we have a stomachache or whatever the consequence of that might be for us. So, So given that tendency of our mind, then how would restrain operate? Well, restraint is like we see the sign, and, you know, there's a strong force to sort of, we're already, even before we get to the exit ramp, we're already, like, wanting to turn to the right, wanting to take that. exit. And it's like we have to restrain, we have to make an effort to go, to, you know, stay on the interstate, stay on the interstate, and a thought comes up, a very powerful thought, like, I deserve this banana split, and then we have to argue with ourselves. It's like when we're restraining it. There's a place for, honey, listen. You know, you're going to have a nice meal with your friend in two hours. You don't need this now, or you already had a brownie earlier in the day. You don't really need this now, or, you know, sugar does this to you. Do you really want this? So you're kind of bringing up counter evidence to the force of desire, and this is like the counter steering that restraint really is and the, the second practice where we're working with the ideal it's like you're just you're forcing, you're training the mind to notice how nice it is to be on this interstate and just cruising along the straight and narrow life just the peacefulness of not having to take the exit So, but we're noticing the positive side of it, like it's nice just to be cruising along it's nice not to have to turn off just to be moving sailing through life no problems, this feels good. And then, of course, the effortless is like you're not disturbed by the signs. It's not like you have to avoid looking at them. You can see, and you can see the Dairy Queen sign, and you can even remember, oh, I remember having a banana split. Those sure taste good. So it's not like you have to be in denial that that would be a pleasant sense experience. But the, the compulsion isn't there. It's like you're not blinded by pleasantness because in a way the pleasantness isn't landing with a self who needs pleasantness. There's no self. It doesn't mean that you don't recognize that eating a banana split tastes like this. It's the sweetness, it's the smoothness, it's the coolness, it's the crunchiness of the toasted walnuts, (laughs) the warmth of the hot fudge sauce, (laughs) that sweet, wonderful imitation cherry <laughs> Yeah, it's all of that but it, but it doesn't stick, you know when, when there isn't a strong or there isn't any sense of a self then it's just this sort of ephemeral, very light uh, perception you know, memory of that and it, it doesn't take any work to stay on the, the interstate and even if we did go off it wouldn't be a problem either because the mind isn't creating problems, isn't turning things into good and bad. This is the dangerous place. And we can talk about this in the weeks ahead. We'll probably take a couple more weeks of morality. But if I forget, let's come back to the, the danger of, of this effortless morality. Because people think, well, I don't need any more restraint, any more refraining, because I understand it's all empty. And then they think, well, yeah, I can have sex with anybody. Right? You know, I can act on my anger because there's nobody there doing it. And we get Buddhist teachers and other people uh, making big problems. (laughs) But I'll I'll leave it there. We'll come back to that topic. But it'd be nice to hear from people from your own practice, what you've learned in terms of morality, how you've worked with refraining, how you've worked with ideals. Yeah, Jim. Um, I uh, I guess my
0: question is more or less around can you have a sense of Lack of sense of self, no, no sense of self, being that within the moment in suchness, connectedness, without the overlay of morality, or is it part of the whole package that you get to the point where you're feeling not feeling connected, a connected? Morality is obviously are, is already there, like compassion. You have to feel compassion in order to be. Um,
1: Yeah, Yeah, well, of course, we're speculating a little bit because I'm not there. Um, But we can, you know, we have moments when we're in that direction for sure. And so we can maybe get a flavor of what that might be like. But I think it does shift. And I think it's useful to think of this whole idea of morality as a skillful means, it's a training. So the five precepts, they're trainings. So that we can get to the place where we're independent of training. We're beyond training. Now, we may never get there, but just moving in the direction of this independence feels really right. It seems really wholesome. But I do feel like, yeah, it makes sense that you get beyond the point where morality as a construct isn't useful or necessary. Like the Buddha uses the image that, you know, if there's a flood, and you need to get across the flood. You build yourself a raft, you get across the flood. But once you're across the flood, you don't pick up the raft and carry it around with you. You just let go of it. You don't need it anymore. And it's the same with these constructs. But you know, we really have to know whether we're across the flood or not. We can't just assume we're across the flood. So there's a certain, like, uh, uh, humility about that. And this is why it's really nice to practice in a community because. It's like being in a community. It's we. Uh, it's just easier to, uh, yeah, kind of to reflect back for each other wh- whether there's still greed and aversion and delusion in the mind or not. I don't know if that quite answers your question.
0: Pretty much. I just see that in nature, it is that we don't necessarily see the animals compassionate towards each other. A hawk is sitting in a tree waiting to kill another animal on the ground or bird. So it isn't something that's inherent in all beings, all sentient beings is what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah. You need that in order to get to, to move from to the place where you're again, you know, since you lack yourself
1: and connecting with it. See, again, it's, not, it's a skillful means. So it's not about somehow living a life where there's no harming because I, don't, I can't imagine how that would be possible. How could you be a living being without harming other creatures? You know, even if you're like a vegan or and you're just in one place, it's just so easy. Uh, just moving about creates harm. So I don't think... That, it's not about not harming. It's about using the ideal of not harming to illuminate the force of greed, aversion, and delusion in the mind so we can see it and abandon it abandon the identification with it um, does that does that get at it so it's really it's re- you're really using it to go beyond greed and aversion and delusion that's really the path and so compassion you know the book in Buddhism uh, love or kindness is really not aversion. it's the absence of aversion So that if there is harm, the harm isn't arising because of a sense of somebody who wants to do harm. There may be harm arising, you know, you may feed your body and in feeding your body you may destroy life to do that. But there's no intention to harm, there's no somebody wanting to harm, somebody intentionally harming. It's just natural conditions doing natural things. As you kind of pointed to in the beginning but we have this tendency to sort of impute a self and then the the ways that we interact in the world it really uh, it arises out of the greed and out of the aversion out of the delusion the sense of separation and that's what we're teasing out and we use morality to tease that out So once you've teased all that out, you know how would somebody be in the world? Well, I don't think they would. How could they act aggressively? Doesn't mean that something they would do might lead to killing, but they wouldn't act aggressively. They wouldn't act with greed. Does that make sense? Sure. I mean, we have to speculate because we don't know. I mean, I'm assuming nobody in the room knows what that state of A mind completely free of greed and aversion is like. Someday, maybe. We'll see. Time for maybe one more. Yeah, Dave, Five. Dave is pointing to is something that happens, whether you're formally, I mean, on a formal retreat, but if you take up this practice, uh, you'll come to times where it's like there's no escape, and so part of restraint is like just staying there, staying in the moment, staying awake, just that, that patient endurance with what feels unbearable is really a powerful Example of what we've been talking about tonight and, uh, and Just letting uh, Letting the sensitivity the sensitive creature feel what it feels and especially in terms of like all of that pain that can arise from Our past actions all the mistakes all the unfinished business yeah. And it's really healing although it feels it feels uh, overwhelming at times And very confusing at times when we're in those states. This is another time where it's really good to have Dharma friends, people who are doing the practice. But let's leave it here, and we'll just take a few seconds and let go of the words. It's nice to take a moment and recognize how wholesome it is to be here together and reflecting on our deepest aspiration for our lives. Living this life in a way that supports the happiness and peace and freedom from suffering for all beings, including ourselves. Thanks, everyone, for being here, practicing together. Um, There's a few more spots in the day-long retreat on Saturday, if anybody would like to join in. And um, there's also...
0: Thank you for listening.